Welcome to TD Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Wiesenek, co-head of Global Investment Banking at TD Securities. Welcome to our podcast. We're recording on April 28th, 2023, two months after the close of our acquisition by TD Bank. And it's my pleasure to be joined today by my new partner, Tim Wigan, the other co-head of Global Investment Banking. Welcome, Tim. Thanks very much, Larry. It's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I've already been introduced. My name's Tim Wigan. I'm 23 years at uh, TD Securities and uh, two months into partnering with you, Larry. I'm very much enjoying the experience thus far and looking forward to building a, a great dealer and uh, investment bank together. As always, also here, my good friend and former colleague, David Erickson, senior fellow at the Wharton Business School. David, let me turn over the, the, the dais to you. Thanks, Larry and Tim. So I, I guess we'll start with your transaction because you guys are used to advising companies on M&A and you experience your own merger. You're now walking in the shoes of your clients. What are the some of the things that you've learned in your own transaction and integration thus far? And in particular, how important are the quantitative elements such as revenue or cost synergies relative to the people and cultural issues? Tim, why don't I start with you to get your perspective on that? Yes, th- thanks very much, David. So I would say uh, there's a couple of things, and I, I, I like the the way that you've broken it down between quantitative and qualitative. So maybe start with uh, quantitative. Uh, in my mind, in order to have a you know a successful transaction, you need to have discipline and and some purpose. So in other words, what is it that you are trying to accomplish uh, through through the transaction? So for us, I would say uh, that process really started with um, a body of work, which we called Playbook, which kicked off uh, in uh, during the pandemic, which was really an effort led uh, by uh, my predecessor, longtime friend and, and partner, Rob Pride, to identify you know, where we wanted to take TD Securities. Um, there were a number of outcomes from that work, uh, but one of the key outcomes uh, that were identified uh, was the fact that we needed to be larger in the U.S. in order to continue to grow. Uh, we had been growing uh, what we called our U.S. dollar strategy. Um, lots of great people leading that, but it tended to be more aligned with balance sheet related businesses. Uh, so that could be f- uh, fixed income, FX, uh, but also equity derivatives and prime. So really Playbook identified uh, the need to, to add human capital. Uh, sales, trading, uh, research, and of course, investment banking and advisory. So that was the purpose, if you will. We started out and and literally built a a checklist of um, areas that we wanted to to fill in that that were existing gaps. Um, Then I would say we went through a process of of looking at the actual activities, in this case, uh, within Cowan to to see what, uh, what the fit was. Um, you know, clearly identified areas where I think we mutually agreed it uh, there wasn't necessarily uh, a good fit, um, and also had a had a very uh, sharp lens on on risk and and controls uh, within the bank within within a, a GSIB bank. 
um, goes without saying uh, price uh, and uh, you have to obviously uh, arrive at a price that is uh, uh, good for both sides uh, and recognizes the tremendous value in this case that was built up in uh, in Cowan. So maybe that gives you a bit of a sense of the of the quantitative. Um, really have to stress the importance of qualitative people, people, people. Um, I think that, uh, you know, despite all the advancements in our business and society, uh, generally people remain our competitive advantage and our differentiator. They're critical to retention. They're critical for, for, for hiring and for attracting talent. So one of the things that I personally enjoyed in, in the process working with, with Larry and Dan and, and Jeff and others was the amount of time that we spent together prior to formal due diligence, getting to know one another. And, um, and, and, and clearly that started uh, initially with the, I think the first meeting that happened in, in January of 2022 uh, uh, with, uh, you know, Riaz, Rob Pride and, and Jeff, and then soon after with a, with a bigger group. So having that time and getting to know each other uh, really helped when the deal closed on March 1. We weren't coming in blind. Uh, we had a high level understanding of what uh, people were, were about and, and some of the things they were looking to accomplish. Larry, how about from your perspective? Well, just jumping off of what Tim said, and maybe it's almost the, the flip side, not only as an advisor to your point earlier, but even for the own firm, you know, we, we've done a lot of acquisitions. So we've been in the seat that Tim and you know, my now new colleagues have been in looking at, at us, but selling the firm is a different story. So I'll, I'll, I'll maybe walk through it from, from our standpoint as someone who was acquired. There's no question that the cultural issues were a huge element. What we saw in TD was someone who was extraordinarily culturally aligned. Tim and his partners did a phenomenal job explaining the industrial logic to us of the deal. Such a good job that I think I could now articulate to an external party just as well as um, any of the folks that came from TD Securities, how well the businesses fit together. Because the, the work they had done going back to the original strategy was, was so well thought out. That got us interested to come to the table. But what motivated us that this would be a place where we could deliver for our clients and for our colleagues, and I'll come back to that in a second, is is the way they show up at work every day. And you know, the only the best way of describing that is culture. And in particular, I think we share on the four C's, as I think of it, the four C's are most important in running a business like ours. I think we share very similar attributes. And, and in my mind, the four C's are clients, community, colleagues, and capital. And in all four, even though we, were, we couldn't be more different in size, right? You know, TD's roughly 100,000 people. The old Cowan was roughly 1,500. We had very little capital. Um, and TD's one of the biggest, well, most well-capitalized banks in the world. Enormous focus on clients. The, the commitment to community at both firms is palpable. In both of our you know, principles, we talk about uh, the responsibilities we have to our local and our global communities. We both spend an enormous amount of energy on the colleague experience and making sure that this is a place that people want to work at for the long term. And then finally, both organizations, again, different sizes, but both organizations view themselves as stewards of capital, or let's say we think like owners. And so when organizations that might be very different in scale have similar ethos, it makes coming to the conclusion that this is something worth doing um, much, much easier. So 
So David, I would say the lessons for clients is there are lots of opportunities to do financial engineering. There are lots of opportunities to um, come up with industrial logic where organizations could on paper make sense together. But for it to work, the qualitative ones become the deciding factors. And the last thing I'd say, I'm not speaking out of school here. Um, it's disclosed in you know the proxies, et cetera. You know, there were other financial institutions that came knocking. Um, none of them uh, were as compelling on the cultural side, such that we could say one plus one will equal more than two because they ran their businesses differently than TD did. What we found in TD was someone that we really um, thought we could grow a great business together. So that would be kind of my my um, my perspective on it. The, the only other thing I, I, I'd say, there's nothing to do with the lead up to the deal, but gets to the last nine months from when the deal was announced to closing and then since then. Bankers usually, after the deal's negotiated, they get to walk away. And then, you know, they might have a few things to do uh, after that, but then they wait for clearance from DOJ, shareholder vote, and then, uh, you know, the deal closes. When you go through it as a principal, there's an enormous amount of work that goes into, particularly in a people business like ours, on both sides, getting folks to understand that there's limitations of what you can do together up until the deal closes. Uh, you have to run the businesses separately, then you know get ready to start working and running the business um, on a collective basis post-close. I think going through it in this manner, I have a new appreciation for the, cha- the, the challenges our public companies go through in that period between deal announcement and close. I, I didn't understand viscerally, you know, what, what they have to go through as managers in that period. And now I do. So why don't we shift to the first of your four C's, the clients. For those companies that have been longtime Cowan clients, Larry, what additional capabilities does this bring to them? And what have you heard already in, in the brief period of time that you guys have been together? The standard answers that you'd get from someone coming from an independent advisory investment banking world, uh, joining uh, forces with a large universal bank would be things, and these are all true, uh, the opportunity to provide capital uh, maybe in support of deals, potentially being a partner in their regular way financing. Those certainly um, have already uh, you know, shown up in terms of opportunities. Some of our clients... Uh, we didn't have an investment grade debt business. Certainly, it's a big business at Barclays, and we will deliver that to our clients. But I think that if you pull back, the the excitement, and the energy comes around from being able to be a more holistic advisor, and to move from being one of the trusted advisors to hopefully the inner circle advisor. And one way that I can share on that was in the in the days around the challenges last month in uh, the regional bank space. We had a number of clients. We, we have a very big practice in healthcare and technology. And many of the companies in that industry, particularly the venture-backed ones, had either their primary or their sole relationship with uh, SVB. And we would have had very limited ability to hold their hands if we were still independent. With the benefit of the broader reach of TD Bank, including our partners, that are outside of TD Securities, but rather in the, the commercial and retail bank. We had dozens of clients that we could help them understand. First, simple things like, what does FDIC insurance mean? 
you know, what happens to your accounts. Um, if they wanted to move money or diversify, we were able to open up accounts for them. Uh, and I can tell you that never once when we were thinking about this deal, did we start thinking about cash management solutions that people would need in a moment of significant concern for their board or for their investors. But we were able to do that for them. And that was a tangible change we could never have done before. That, again, as you know from your time in the industry, if you can be there for a client in their most challenging moments, you win a client for life. And so that that's the, the first thing that comes to my mind. So similarly, Tim, from your perspective, for longtime TD clients, what additional capabilities does this uh, uh, acquisition of Cowan bring? And what have you already heard from your clients? Yeah, I, I would uh, pick up on 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 Larry's point. Uh, he used the word holistic. I think that uh, if you look at uh, TD Securities, uh, I like to say that we have a relationship model, um, much like Cowan. You know, we truly roll up our sleeves and and make an effort to get uh, very close to our clients and and try to help them uh, solution uh, whatever it is they are are, are looking to to accomplish uh, in in the market. And and as I described in our in our initial conversation, we were just uh, tilted uh, specifically in the U.S. Uh, more towards uh, balance sheet uh, businesses and away from equity, sales, trading, and and research, and as well as advisory. And so it really uh, had an impact for us specifically as, as let's say, our core Canadian uh, clients look to access uh, U.S. markets. I think maybe a, a tangible example of that would have been uh, uh, 2021, which was really the last you know, meaningfully robust equity capital market uh, we've had globally and certainly in Canada and the U.S. In that year, um, 15 of the largest 25 Canadian ECM mandates required cross-border distribution. And we just weren't seen as being able to provide uh, the same level of, of service, despite very strong relationships uh, relative to uh, uh, to some of our, our competitors. So in a word, I would say uh, there's a tremendous amount of excitement. Uh, last week, uh, Larry and I were in uh, Pebble Beach. We host a, an annual client event. There are 30 of our top uh, clients there. And uh, there was just a, you know, a, a, vi- a visible excitement on the part of these business leaders across a wide variety of different industries to learn more from Larry about uh, the opportunities that are, that are at the table. And we've had some wins. Um, there's not been many IPOs globally. One of the IPOs in, in Canada was Lithium Royalty Corp, where we were a, a junior book runner. And the analyst on, on the company is, is a, an existing uh, Cowan uh, analyst. Um, there's been a, a number of wins as well that uh, hopefully will be ready for prime time soon across a wide variety of, of, of different areas of the firm, including you know, securitization, uh, corporate banking, uh, M and A, and and then a, a healthy backlog of of uh, IPO opportunities as well. So I think uh, two months in, uh, we're 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 seeing uh, you know real tangible results uh, where the teams have come together and, uh, and and basically gone out and met clients and um, and brought forward uh, solutions. So it's exciting. It's going to be a, a busy couple of years, but we're, we're definitely seeing the start. And David, if it's okay, one of the what Tim just said 
reminds me of is um, being at the event at Pebble, um, what I hadn't anticipated, but it goes back to the the client component of my four C's. Um, I had clients that, no, yeah, they wanted to hear what we were going to provide, but they were trying to convince me of what a great institution TD was because of their 25 or 30 year relationship with the bank. And I think that that, that just gave me another jolt of energy regarding the the value of the and similarity of our cultures because that kind of long-standing relationship and partnership that many of these clients feel with TD Securities is reminiscent of the way many of our clients from TD Cowan feel about our bankers, our commitment to them. So it, it's been a really good first two months. Larry, you and I had a conversation about a month ago or our most recent podcast where we talked about in the in the wake of really what happened with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and then the rescuing of Credit Suisse. And so now, you know, it seemed like things were moving along okay until earlier this week when First Republic announced their first quarter. And ever since, the stock has continued to struggle. And now there's obviously very big concerns about what's the ultimate outcome for First Republic Bank. The question now is, do we think there's going to be further ripples uh, in the coming months, um, and how do you how do you both see that in unfolding in the near term? I'll take a, a first shot at that. I think, like any kind of exogenous event that changes the equilibrium, you can look at other physical forms to to see analogies. And I, I, you know, you can think of it as when a volcano erupts and what happens in the aftermath. You can think about an earthquake, and then after the earthquake, you're going to have you know trembles days later, maybe weeks later. And I think you have to look at it the same way when you have an event like, in a very short period, SVB, Signature, you know, Credit Suisse, which is, um, it, it could be months before we've seen a bunch of the aftermaths from this work its way through the system. Because analysts do more work on other names, the regulators look at, do they make changes? And we're going to have that work its way through. But do I think that the, the worst of the, the information is out in the market now? I think it is. I think, you know, if you think very narrowly in terms of, you know, what it means for depositors, et cetera, um, at this point, every corporation that might have been caught a little bit short in terms of the way they were organized in their corporate cash and uh, didn't have diversification, like, that's done. They found ways to move it. It's not going to have the same impact on, on those companies next time. Retail investors are smarter about everything from you know what's insured, what's not insured, money market accounts, et cetera. So I do think that we're retreating from that challenge. I also look at vol. You know, if you look at, at the VIX, um, very quietly during this period, while we had a spike at the time of the events uh, in, in early March, um, the VIX is now down into the mid-teens. Long-term, while we that's not always a great thing, from a standpoint of being able to finance companies, that's actually a good thing because we've been running, as David, you and I have talked about before, for most of, twenty, you know, call it 22 into early 23, we had the VIX somewhere in mid-20s or higher. Really, really hard for companies to make decisions and for investors to make decisions when volatility is north of low 20s. So 
What does that mean? We're seeing the backlog building again. We're seeing people thinking about doing deals. And I think that we get through another month or so and um, it'll be a, a decent market, which will be decent is an upgrade from a very poor market for capital formation, for equity issuance, and even for M&A into the second half of the year. Um, that would be kind of my gut, but it won't be without some bumps along the way, because I do think we're still working through the aftermath. Tim? Yeah, I absolutely feel there will be continued ripples. I think, um, you know, the regional uh, banking crisis that we saw was a you know, a, a case of duration mismanagement and, um, uh, you know, clearly an imbalance between the liability and asset side of, of the balance sheet. I think that we're living through a, a great uh, economic and, and monetary policy experiment. And, uh, uh, you know, we've had, you know, some dramatic activity, including, you know, a spike in inflation above 8%. And, you know, the central bank response to that, uh, the Fed raising rates uh, over 450 basis points. So I don't think that we're, we're through this. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I focus on is, uh, you know, we've gone through the duration mismanagement. Could we have a liquidity uh, mismatch? You know, we've had an explosive growth in, in, in private uh, and alternative assets. I was looking uh, earlier this week at, at, at the growth of um, AUM in private equity. It's up, you know, fourfold in the last decade. So my question is, so how does that look in an environment where interest rates aren't declining and multiples aren't uh, expanding and maybe lending is just a little bit uh, tighter? In my mind, uh, what we saw in the gilt market in, uh, in the UK was, was maybe an example of, of how this plays out. Um, uh, you know, it was a, an example of, of liability-driven investing. So simplistically, you have your return seeking and your liability matching assets. The idea in this case, your liability matching assets are gilts. You lever them up. And I think a lot of that money found its way into, into private and any liquid assets. Obviously have a budget uh, issue and the market revolts and everyone's scrambling for, for liquidity. So I think that those type of examples uh, we need to watch very, very closely. Another one is, is the commercial uh, and uh, uh, the commercial real estate uh, side where we've got something like four and a half trillion dollars of, uh, of loans outstanding. Uh, about a third of them coming due before 2025 and, and, and have to be refinanced. So how, you know, how does that look? So I think that uh, there, there will be other kind of flashpoints of, of crisis along the way that we'll need to monitor. But um, I, I by no means think we're, we're, we're through this uh, at all. So in the interest of time, I'm going to kind of close out with kind of two combined questions, if you will. You know, again, it goes back to a month ago. It was kind of an unsettling time for the markets broadly. Since that time, we've seen a couple of M&A deals actually get announced and a, and a couple of IPOs uh, in the process of uh, either roadshow or recently completed transactions. Do you see that as part of the start of a trend or are we going to be, uh, you know, a couple months down the road still waiting for that trend to start? And if so, this is the second part of the question. If so, what's the advice to TD Cowan clients? Tim, why don't I start with you, and then I'll flip it to Larry. We've definitely seen uh, more activity in uh, in the M and A space. I know uh, you mentioned J and J in Canada. We we 
we had a deal this week uh, as well on the energy side that that uh, is is publicly disclosed with uh, Total selling their oil sands uh, assets to Suncor in a, in a four billion dollar transaction. So I think a couple of things uh, have to have to continue to occur. One is obviously uh, thawing of lending markets and uh, generally. Which uh, hopefully we are we're, we're starting to see, not, notwithstanding um, you know all the turbulence that Larry and I talked about earlier. And then you need a you know a, a, a reasonable balance in terms of clearing price. Uh, so I think for quite a quite a long, lengthy period of time, we not only had you know funding markets challenged, but maybe a bit of a uh, a disconnect between you know the the sell side reality on price and 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 the buy side. So maybe a bit more uh, normalization there. I also think if if debt, debt capital markets and equity capital markets are, are are generally more challenged, it would make sense for companies to go after operating synergies and look for 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 M and A uh, opportunity. And in terms of advice, uh, you know, I think Larry and I have both spoken about a theme of you know potential ripples or uh, turbulence in in the marketplace. So I think that. What we've seen in in the last uh, a number of months highlights the importance of capital, liquidity, funding, and real discipline around your your risk and and controls. Uh, uh, you know, clearly uh, there are major macro uh, forces at play that led to some of these uh, difficult uh, events and outcomes. But as well, uh, there, there's a fair amount of self-reflection needed in terms of what maybe could have been different, done differently as it relates to some of those key tenets of running any company, uh, public or, or private. I'm not going to answer the on the M&A front, I think you've already gotten that from Tim. We definitely agree in, in, in terms of uh, starting to see larger deals come to market. Um, a theme, David, that we've talked about before is most of the deals strategically fit into the depth, you know, or this bucket of fit and focus. So, and and that's what you expect to see in difficult times. Companies questioning their portfolio, trying to modify it to be more appropriate for the cycle ahead. And I think that'll keep picking. I think that will pick up. That gets into can, are there synergies, better ways of running those businesses, etc. Going to the 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 capital markets, um, I do think we're at the beginning of seeing some of the most beaten up sectors, the companies capitulating and realizing that since capital, certainly financing, is their lifeblood, it's their oxygen, they've held their breath long enough. You know, they didn't like the declines in their stocks. They had the rearview mirror, which basically said, I was worth 50% more, say, a year ago, whatever. But now the answer is, if they don't start to bring in the needed capital, um, there may not be a tomorrow, right? And so we're seeing both buyers and sellers. So, you know, trying to, to figure out how to make that work. We've seen an, a significant uptick, certainly in our backlog in those spaces. We're seeing deals get done. They tend to, the, the early deals getting done are generally existing public companies raising capital either through a private, a convertible, uh, maybe a, you know, um, uh, uh, an overnight deal where they they you know first um, line up investors in the private market then flip to the public market, but um, the early stages of recovery in terms of issuance is, is out there, um, and uh, the question is will that will that continue? But we're seeing it first and foremost in the sectors that traded off the most, right? So healthcare, some parts of technology, 
These, those are also the spaces that sold off earliest um, in, in, in or before the tightening from the Fed. So we'll monitor that. What we tell clients there is, um, you know, if in order for you to be able to run the business the way you want to, you need to have more capital on hand. Um, you have to be price insensitive because you can't take the risk of getting to two months, three months, six months away of running out of your, your runway. So I think that that is probably the number one conversation we have with folks is on that front, if it's in the growth where, you know, folks who, who need more capital. And then on the, the large cap side, it's around portfolio and how you basically remake your portfolio in order to be in the strongest position for the next part of the cycle. That we're, Whether that's six months away, 12, 18 months, you know, clearly there'll be a leg up at some point over the horizon. That's great, Larry and Tim. Thank you for the time. I'll turn it over to you guys for closing comments. Well, first, I just want to thank again my new partner, Tim, for joining. Um, we have a lot of fun on these podcasts. And Tim, I'll let you be the judge as to whether it was fun or not. But uh, we'll uh, hopefully we'll be doing this again soon. And uh, since we are running out of time, David, thank you once again. Always appreciate these conversations. And I look forward to the next one. Thanks. Yeah, I would just say, Larry, David, thank you very much. It was fun. I did enjoy it. And I thought the questions were, were great. So thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of TD Cowan Insights.